Hi, welcome to Escape the Earth. I'm Tim. And I'm Liz. And we are a sci-fi book club recording from the depths of the San Antonio Public Library. We're supported by the San Antonio Public Library Foundation. And today we are going to be talking about ancillary dishwashers. No? That was one of my titles. One of my other title suggestions were Culture Shock versus Fishing Rights. I, I think that one's more more relevant. How about the gender blender? Gender blender is super relevant. The society of germaphobes. I feel like gender blender is the winner here. Wait, wait. I have two more. AIMatch.com. <laughs> and split personalities and ham soup. I like gender blender the best, personally. Okay. So actually what we're talking about is Ancillary Justice. It's a novel by Anne Leckie, her first novel, and it won like all the major awards for sci-fi. It was published in 2013. It won the Hugo, it won the Nebula, it won the author C. Clarke. And are you going to get the synopsis? Yeah, I can go ahead and get the synopsis. So in this book, we follow Brett and their quest to... To basically destroy the supreme leader of this galactic empire called the Rat. And, but the way we find out about it is we get it in flashbacks. So Breck used to be just one ancillary, so a human counterpart of this giant starship called the Justice of Corinth. And I forgot exactly how long ago it was from where the book starts to like these flashbacks. I think it was like five years or so. You have two different plot lines. Yeah. And the Justice of Torin part plot line starts 19 years back. 19 years. Oh, wow. Okay, so I totally misremembered that. Okay, so it's 19 years in the past. And, ugh, Okay, maybe I'm not the best to do the, the synopsis for this, because I had a lot of confusion with this book. So the, the timeline does get very confusing. You have first the current time which starts on the planet Nilt, right? And that's the frozen planet where Breck discovers Sieverdin. So you say Sieverdin, the audiobook, because I, I will say I read this book or read in quotations, but I listened to this book and the narrator pronounced the name Sivadin. Okay. You say Sieverdin, I say Sivadin. Potato potato tomato tomato. Yeah, maybe that should be like our our um that should be our show title. <laughs> potato, potato, tomato, tomato, whatever. <laughs> so Breck discovers Sieverdin on on this planet Nilt. It's a frozen planet, and Sieverdin is someone that Breck used to know a thousand years ago. So Sieverdin links up the Garced plot line with Breck. Breck is there on Nilt looking for a gun produced by the Garced and happens to run across Sieverdin, who, who had been one of Breck's lieutenants when Breck was a starship, the Justice of Torin. Breck, as the starship Justice of Torin, had hundreds of ancillaries, which are human counterparts with 
the starship's consciousness implanted into them. They ha- they're, they're biologically human, but they have the consciousness of the starship controlling them. The starship can see what they see, can command them from orbit. And Breck is actually one of these ancillaries. And what happened with Breck was that on one planetary annexation, which is what the Ratch call it when they take over or absorb another society. Oh. So during during an annexation, Breck... During an annexation, they, they basically either kill people or they take them as prisoners and they wipe their memories. Or not just their memories, like, they basically just, like, wipe them out as a person in their brain. And then they put them in, like, this, uh, what's it, the... It's uh, like a cryogenic stasis, a cryostasis. Yes, so they put them in that, and then as, like, these giant starships that have, like, thousands or hundreds at the very least, and ancillaries, like, if an ancillary dies, they're like, oh, okay, well, we're just gonna go grab the old human body that we just have stored here and give you another ancillary to replace the one you just made, or the one you just lost. So that's how the Ratch would operate. So they would go in, and they say, like, absorb or the annexation, so, you know, they're basically just conquering. And they would kill the ones that were super resistant, and then... The other ones that were resistant, but maybe not super violent, they're just like, well, there goes your personality. (laughs) And then they would insert the AI. And so that's how that would work. And, like, that becomes a very big point in the book later on. Right, it it does. But so, Breck discovers Saverdin and Anil. Breck had become divorced or separated from the starship Justice of Torin of which her consciousness is a part when the Justice of Torin was destroyed 19 years in the past. And what happened there was all all the starships have their favorite lieutenants. And Breck's favorite lieutenant was named On. And during this annexation, On stumbled onto sort of a, a revolutionary plot. And on really doesn't hasn't put all the pieces together yet on knows that the plot must be led by the leader of the ratch but on does not understand why that why that is happening and what breck comes to discover is that anander mianai who i'm sure i'm not pronouncing that name right how did they do it in the audiobook they pronounce like I'm going to butcher it, even trying to say it, how the how the narrator said it. She said it so flawlessly and so smoothly. But it was... Yeah, she had more of like a... Like where the D is in the first part of the name. It was kind of like more of a like a click. Right. Um, but yeah, so... <laughs> whatever. So, what, so, how you said it sounds great, Tim. Okay. So I'm going to continue to call it, call the supreme leader of the Ratch, Anandermianai. And Anandermianai has thousands of genetic duplicates with her consciousness uploaded into them. And one of those duplicates has formed its own separate identity. It's still Anandermianai, but it is 
it's got some issues with the way things have been run. And so she is actively going around recruiting other Anandermianais and other starships to work against Anandermianai 1. Yeah, like the main one or the one that of the more traditional ratched mindset of like annex planets and civilizations and basically assimilate them into the rat. Right. Everybody becomes rat. And where Anandermianai 1 shows up during this annexation where this revolutionary plot has been discovered by On, Anandermianai 1 at that point is seeing shadows in the shadows, like, you know, super paranoid, like everybody is forming alliances against me and and surely On is on this other Anandermianai's uh, side and that's the reason that she orders Breck to execute on. And Breck, being a computer, essentially cannot resist this order, but Breck also divorces herself from Anonarmianai at that point and shoots Anonarmianai 1. But there are others, other genetic copies of her on the ship that then start to take over, and they're the ones that actually destroy the ship but Breck has escaped before the ship is destroyed, and that's how she becomes separate. And since that point in time, her goal is to kill an honor beyond I won. Basically eliminate her as revenge for the execution of Lieutenant On. And the only way that Breck can conceive of getting close enough to an honor is by getting this special alien technology. It's a gun that cannot be detected by any security, any AI whatsoever. And oh. this this gun is on the planet nil. Can I can I say something really quick? Sure. Go ahead. So the whole time that they were talking about this spectacular like super spy gun, I just kept imagining it was like a remnant of like, our society to, like, you know, ancillary justice is probably sent or set far, far in the future. Right. So I'm, like, imagining this gun is, like, a super old but well-kept, like, (laughs) AR-15. That's what I kept imagining in my head, which makes no sense, and I have no foundation or reason as to why my brain went there, but I just wanted to insert that I kept imagining this as, like, a super well-preserved, like, AR-15. (laughs) <laughs> a 1600 blunderbuss yeah like, one of those things that you can load rocks and nails in it and... yeah just get wild but anyway so yeah that's kind of the summary like you you said it like i think you did a much better job describing the book than i could have because i still have so many questions and i'm just still like a giant question mark when it comes to this book And I know I'm in the minority for this because I feel like for a lot of people, it flowed really easily for them and it really captured their attention and they were just able to really get into this world. Like this one review I found online, it's off of um, Fantasy Book Review. It's a website that's based in the UK. So the reviewer, Kat Fitzpatrick, in one part of her review, she's like, I found this book effortless to read. And I was like, hold up, Miss 
Fitzpatrick. I respectfully disagree. It took this some work. Book, this book was not no effortlessness. It took a lot of effort for my brain to follow. And for like the first, I mean, I like I said, I listened to it in the audios, but so for like, I don't know, maybe the first hour, I was just like driving around when I was listening to it because I typically listen to it on my commute and I was just like, what? I'm like, one, are these people? Are these things with the names? And then I was just getting so confused. And then some of the accents that the narrator gave, like the different people would just like, so the planet of Neil, Neil, where she, where Breck, so I think Breck is a female, so I I refer to her as a she, because she just came across as like female in my head. Um, where she discovered Sivadin, who I, in my head, picture as a male. Um, the narrator gave the people of Neil like this hardcore, like, Texas twang. Oh, yeah. Like, it was a big twang. Like, what do you want? And I was like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. That's a really interesting visual. <laughs> You know, that that's not totally unusual because they adopt that also in the James S. A. Corey series, The Inhabitants of Mars. They all speak with the Texas drawl. Are you serious? They do. It, that's it's so funny. It, it's kind of cool, actually. But I know you said you didn't you didn't like the book. I did like it, actually. Um, so. And we sort of touched on some of the things that people have complained about with it, which number one, the the gender blender, and that's and this is why it's a suggested title. Uh, the Ratch have done away with gender. They refer to everybody as she, and since Breck is an AI construction of the Ratch, Breck has a lot of trouble identifying who males and females are, and it's one of the few things that can give away what she is. Yes, especially when she's interacting with other cultures, and she's she passes herself off as a citizen of this. It's like, it's well known that people would be like, oh, okay, yeah, I know where that the is. The Garantate. Yes, the Garantate. So, and I mean, and she was there. Briefly, I mean, you find out later in the book that, like, she did spend time with the Garantate. Became, like, but their I, high priestess or something. I know. That threw me for a loop when I read it. She was like, yeah, I became a priestess, got a lot of money, you know, did some stuff in those 19 years. I was like, what? I was like, wow, I wish I utilized my time that well. Jeez. But, um, darn it. I lost my train of thought. Okay. So... That happens to me a lot too, but but so that was that was one thing that people sometimes have a hard time with is this idea that there's no gender. And what I've read is, you know, Ursula Le Guin, the left in the Left Hand of Darkness, also used that, but the opposite way. Everybody was referred to as he and him. Ooh. So that's one thing. Oh, could I say something in relation to that? Because like, you just reminded sure. me. So. When I was looking up just, like, different things about ancillary justice, just so, you know, excuse me, we could have different things to talk about on here. I had this bright idea, I thought it was a bright idea, to go into Google Scholar and type in ancillary justice by Ann Leckie. And I found two thesis papers about this book. And one of them focused on 
Hold on, I'm trying to pull it up so I can redo the title. Because, I mean, the title's in good academic fashion, very descriptive. So, this was by A... Ooh, I'm gonna butcher this name. A. Brosurma. It was a bachelor thesis. Sorry, Abe. Abrasurma. I don't know what the first name is. But the title of the thesis is Challenging Dualisms Through Science Fiction, a close reading of the colonized and gendered identity and body in Anne Lecky's Ancillary Justice. Nice. So someone, like, took the focus or the lack thereof, considering, like, Lecky just decided to turn everybody into a she. Like, they wrote an entire thesis, and it was 31 pages long, because I did open it, and I, like, I was like, oh, maybe I'll read this. You know, that little PDF thing at the top of the webpage that tells you how many pages this is? It was like 31. I was like, but I just found that so fascinating. And I mean, I think that does speak a lot towards uh, Lucky's writing because, I mean, someone wrote an entire thesis and they weren't the only one. Someone else did it, too. And I saw some other ones. It's interesting that you br- that you bring up Ursula K. Le Guin because I saw another paper where they talk about Ursula K. Le Guin and this book and and gender and like what they're doing with that. So I just thought that was interesting. That that that's really cool actually. And and Lecky, I'm sure if she did wasn't aware of that already, should be super thrilled about that because that's you know, you're you're being studied. And, and uh And it is kind of mind boggling that this was her debut novel. Like, this was the first novel she published. I think I had read somewhere a month or so ago when I was, like, initially, like, after, right after I finished reading this book and I was looking up reviews about it and stuff, that she had published short stories and, like, short fiction, but she hadn't ever published a full-blown novel. So, yeah, it's super cool and fascinating, and I think it just speaks to how influential science fiction literature can be and like the conversations like the very relevant conversations it can start so though i wasn't gaga about this book i am super thrilled to kind of see things that these like academic like professional academic writing analyzing her book right one of the other things that people get hung up on and and we've been struggling with it as you can tell are the names and I did actually, I, I know you had a problem with it. I read a review on, on Wired, which we, we should talk about also, because they did something really interesting. It seems like they met and discussed the book at different sections. So like after chapter one, after chapter five. And so it was, it was interesting that they did that. Um, it is interesting that they went like chapter by chapter or like you know like they broke it up into chunks and then would like talk about it i I feel like this would be a really good book to do that kind of book club-esque format for just because there is a lot going on there is so much going on in this book right and um they the one of the reviewers said the first things first i got a I have to remark on all the extra vowels. If there's one thing I hate more than gratuitous apostrophes in my alien languages, it's extra vowels. So I I, I just thought that was funny that uh, he had to comment on the gratuitous apostrophes. 
Yeah, that is really funny. So I thought I thought that was funny. Like you, we were not the only ones. So there, you know, too many apostrophes in the names and and too many vowels in the nandermiane, which is why our brains are struggling with it. To all you prospective writers out there, not that you have to like appeal to the American palate, but take it easy on your readers every once in a while. Like give give us an or give us a pronunciation guide. Right. Yeah, something phonetic at the beginning of the book. That would work well. You know, there were there were certain things that I really liked about this book and the world building too. Some those usually stem from, you know, like the cultural beliefs. Yeah. And one of the things that I found interesting was that there is a very Eastern feel to the to the Radji culture. They have this thing called the first demination, and it's a, a trepabo, light and darkness. The other three are implied and necessitated by that first, eskvar, beginning and ending, isalnu, movement and stillness, and vantalir, existence and non-existence. The four emanations variously split and recombine to create the universe. Everything that is emanates from a mod. Uh, which I I find to be kind of an elegant description of the the yin yang. That's true. I never I didn't even pick up on that to be honest. Um, I think I was again so focused on keeping track of the main plot that I I missed a lot of the more descriptive cultural details. Just because I was just like, okay, I want to make sure I'm following everything and I know. Like, what's going on here? But it's funny that you, I mean, so me kind of half paying attention to the cultural aspects of the rat, I saw them as very, like, British. Very, like, colonial British. So the the one thing that I saw, like, with the with the rat, I can see the, the colonial British uh, ideal, but at the end of the Kindle edition of the book, Lecky gives an interview and she says that a lot of the the ratch operations actually derive from the Roman Empire, particularly how they absor- absorb the deities of the civilizations they annex, and they're eventually pushed further down in importance. At first, they're like made to be super important, then they're slowly become secondary and tertiary to a, a mod over time. And don't they also then, like, make it seem like, oh, yes, like, yeah, your gods are, like, yes, they're relevant, but they're they're just, like, extensions of Emmat. Like, they've always been a part of us. Right. And, and the Romans were, were very good at that. And, and you see some of that still has effect. Like, uh, what we celebrate as Christmas is really the Roman holiday of Saturnalia. Yeah. Some of those things that hold on today. The other thing that I see that goes along with that is there's a lot of social commentary about, you know, genetics and class and things like that. uh, Because. Very focused on class. Right. It's a very loaded thing. Like, are people born superior or can they achieve? on their own and that's really personified by Brecken Savarden 
are almost opposites in, in that. Because Savarden was someone who was born upper class from the right family, had the right connections, house with a lot of money, who fell into disrepute, lost her ship, fell into drug use, and is discovered has been on this planet out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And Breck, who is not even human, an ancillary AI, who goes and becomes separated from her ship, goes on to become high priestess of the Garantate, earns millions and millions of space credits. and Yeah, it's like whatever their currency is. And essentially is out to carry off the greatest assassination of all time. Which is like, I guess she succeeds him, but... But, but they do talk about, you know, how, how the aptitude tests... Uh, only are only appropriate for certain people or only certain people do well at them. And uh, one person in chapter four makes the comment, and I can't remember if it's Breck or it's on, that luxury always comes at someone else's expense. One of the many advantages of civilization is that one doesn't generally have to see that if one doesn't wish. You're free to enjoy its benefits without troubling your conscience. I feel like that wasn't Breck or On. I thought it was that other lieutenant that Sky, Sky Ayat. Yeah, Sky Ayat. Who, who I really liked, actually. Sky Ayat was cool. I thought she seemed the most realistic character in terms of like how she responds to. I mean, the situation she's in. Like, she's a lieutenant, and like, yeah, she's from like a decent family, and they have enough. Well, I just had the word in my head, and I can't think of it now. Like, they have enough uh, prestige, I guess, to where, like, you know, she has a good position, and, spoiler, she, like, gets to keep a good position later on. They can kind but, of speak their mind because of their position. Yeah, a little bit more than everybody else. Yeah, and the thing is, is, like, they seem to have a stronger moral compass in terms of, like, how we, the reader, maybe view morality. But at the same time, they're not gonna, they're not necessarily gonna do a whole lot about it necessarily. Right. And I just find that to be very realistic. <laughs> right. And so you, you get other, other people, Severden, who, who is from the right house, but has fallen. Then you have people like Lieutenant Isaiah, who, talking about Lieutenant Ahn, says, you like Lieutenant Ahn, of course, we all do. But she doesn't have the breeding. She wasn't born for this. She works so very hard at what what comes naturally of us. And Lieutenant Ahn, I felt like when you saw her, was pretty effective. Um, No, yeah, she, he, um, they were like a very competent lieutenant, and I think they handled the situation on the planet they were on really well which led do you know them discovering that like okay something is not matching up here yeah she just she just didn't have enough time to put all the pieces together to be honest i think even if she put most of it the final one the one with like on on a on a me or my whatever i i honestly don't think they would have gotten that no and I think it's a real point of growth for Severin when, when she acknowledges to Breck, you never knelt to get anywhere. You are where you are because you're capable. 
and willing to risk everything to do right and I'll never be half of what you are even if I tried my whole life and I was walking around thinking I was better than you even half dead and no use to anyone because my family is old because I was born better yeah no yeah Simon and I think had some of I think had the best character development right and I'd be interested in seeing what happens with her going forward the reason I was joking about this being called ancillary dishwashers is because you always hear people say, well, like, if I could only split myself into two, if I could only divide myself into four, what would you do if you could split yourself into two? I would send somebody, if I could split myself into two, one of me would be washing dishes right now. If I could split myself into two, I would probably, yeah, I'd probably just, like, get more of, like, like one of me would be playing a video game, one of me would be would be reading a book. One of you would be listening to a podcast. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, I I get all the stuff I want to do done maybe. I think uh, so culture shock and fishing rights like that comes from the the way that plot was discovered was because you had this little mini lesson that was rather, it was like three or four pages long explaining the fishing rights on, on <laughs> this planet, Shishurna. Um, and that was... No, you can't fish there, but you can fish there, but you cannot fish here, but you can't fish there. And it's just like, what? And later the fishing will be open here, but you can't fish there until after winter. And, and yeah. you can only do it on the third night of every full moon. And... Like so, so, so can can I fish there? <laughs> I think the gender blender thing is is understandable now, but the sight of germaphobes, because one of the things about ratch culture is that they all wear gloves, and if you are seen without your gloves, it's like uh, Victorian women showing their ankles, you know. Um, yes, not that's very true. I I hope nobody regards that as a sexist comment, but but that's what the impression I get. Thanks. So I think it was more of just a historical reference. I thought possibly they were all germaphobes, but there were no descriptions of people like spraying each other with Lysol or anything like that. No, 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 no. That that would be a book set in in twenty twenty. <laughs> yes. Right. And then um, AIMatch.com was because Justice of Torin was kind of in love with Lieutenant On. That's true. And, I, and, and goes on a 20-year revenge mission over Lieutenant On's execution. Which, which they did, but, you know, we've already kind of talked about how that happened. And Anandermiani, of course, split personalities in Hamsoup. Anandermiande had, like, real deal split personalities that were whole other people completely whole other people yes it's just, i whew, i don't know again i have to say like if you find me on goodreads even in my goodreads review i was like i know i'm in the minority i know <laughs> it don't come at me i did not like this book <laughs> but i almost want to read the next one just to see what what the development is with because uh, one of the things I did like about Breck is it wasn't a mindless AI that was just ruled by an algorithm. Like, she seemed to have feelings and seemed to have 
you know, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't directed that way. Right. She was, she was very human, even whenever she was S1, whenever she was like a fully operational ancillary of Justice of Torin. She was very individualistic compared to her other, her counterparts, her, the other ancillaries, like, because one of the things is she always sang or like she hummed. Right. And getting to that, like, I don't think anybody, well, I mean, maybe some people did, thought like, if I could split myself into four, I could form my own acapella group. I mean, you could. <laughs> I gotta say, my, my brain didn't go there automatically. No, but no. Yes, you could. But Justice of Torin 1S did. That's true. She basically did. She was like, oh, I could like do this melody and this harmony. <laughs> so, basically, I mean, I think that pretty well wraps up most of our thoughts on this. Do you have anything that you want to touch on before... No, I mean, I just want to point out that even though I've been very vocal about not liking the book, I would still totally recommend this to people just because I recognize that, that like, even though I don't like it, there is, it has this quality to it that just kind of draws the reader in. Um, and as much as it kind of seems like a harder sci-fi book, I actually think this would be a really good book for someone who's kind of new to the genre or who like wants to explore it more. I think it's a really good um, intro to the genre. In addition to another book we talk about, the the um, All Systems Read by Martha Wells. Which has a lot of similarities because that's a, that's an organic robot as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That that clearly has some some feelings. A very emo organic robot. That that robot is just he's a he's an emo teenager. Right. So, That's all Murderbot is. He's an emo teenager. Right. So maybe you know uh, you could you could write your doctoral dissertation on all systems red and ancillary justice and then send it to us. At sappleescapetheearth at gmail dot com, yeah. and uh, so and of course, any of you can write us there if you have suggestions or anything interesting that you'd like us to share. Random thoughts, no hate mail, please. And we'd like to thank everybody for listening, and please rate and review and subscribe. And you can view our book lists and reviews and suggested reads at Goodreads under the group. It's Sapple Escape the Earth. And uh, join us next month for when we discuss The Lies of Lac Lamora by Scott Lynch. That's right. That's what we decided on, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're going to read The Lies of Lac Lamora. Excellent. Well, and um, I have to give credit to the little section that I read from the Wired book review. I will include the links to that in our show notes. And uh, yeah, that's everything. So yeah, thanks for joining us, guys. We hope you enjoyed our our talk about this book. It's a book that has a lot you can talk about. So yeah, if you have some additional thoughts or something you feel that we missed or totally misunderstood or whatever, definitely shoot us an email. I mean, I guess you could message us through Goodreads, but probably not the best way. But that's an option too if you want to. Yeah, either way, either way. Yeah. Yeah, we we are at our very core book geeks, and so we oh, can yeah. we can talk about books all day long. All day long.